0: Why do people not want to invest in women of color doing education? Well, you know what? That's not true. It's not that people don't want to invest. That it, The truth is there is a system that lacks the awareness and the processes and the foundation to give women of color the belief, the investment that they need to be successful, right? You're
1: listening to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, with award-winning digital strategist, author, speaker, and personal branding expert, Francine Bellay. Francine is on a mission to help purpose-driven entrepreneurs to position themselves as an authority in their industry, attract their ideal clients, and impact millions of people globally. Looking to redefine the life you want to live and your best life now? Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. The place to be to hear inspirational stories of thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and Francine herself with practical strategies to get more meaning in your work and in your life. Make the money you deserve and lead a movement to change the world. Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. I am your host, Francine Belléhy. Are you a professional, an entrepreneur, or an executive who is feeling directionless right now? Or you are not sure what you should be doing next in your career or in your business? Are you looking perhaps to bring fire back in your life? and unearth your passion to grab the new opportunities that are appearing in a post-COVID world? Or perhaps, are you ready to start living urgently, doing what you truly love? Well, if your answer to these questions is yes, you need to join me in my upcoming challenge. I am running a 5-day Discover Your Passion challenge to help you reset your life priorities as we work together to discover what truly lights you up so you can finally achieve a lifestyle that you love. COVID-19 has reshaped a lot of industries and made you question your priorities and what lights you up. You know that you can live a life full of zest rather than settling for this boring life that doesn't inspire you. Well, in this five-day challenge, I will be helping you to uncover your passion and new life priorities by sharing my own personal experience, the experience of people that I had the chance to interview on this podcast, Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life, or outside of the podcast. I will also be sharing great tester strategies that I've used with my clients over the last few years to uncover their passions and get committed to live life fully. So I will literally hold your hands as we go through the five days so you don't have to do it on your own. I know how daunting this can be and difficult to do this by yourself. So that's why I invite you in this five-day challenge with me to guide you and steer you in the right direction as you reveal your own magic. So for more information and to register to the five-day Discover Your Passion Challenge, you go to francinebelli.com slash passion challenge that's f-r-a-n-c-i-n-e-b-e-l-e-y-i.com slash passion challenge and you register register because the places are limited so you want to register right now to secure your place i'll see you there well today i'm excited to have on the show uh Shereen jaffa She's the CEO and founder of Edvo, a venture-backed edtech company that has raised 2.9 million to help people think better and learn better. They have helped over 30 or over 50k, actually 50,000 people navigate their careers and find meaningful work, and have been recognized in Business Insider, Forbes, Fast Company, etc. Before that, uh, Shireen has started her first company, Skillify, at 19, and she has bootstrapped that as a solo woman, founder to profitability, and implemented that within 220 high school and college. Hi, Shireen. Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful
0: Life podcast. Hi. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell
1: us, in your own words, what you currently do.
0: Yeah, so I am a serial entrepreneur. So that means I just love building businesses and um, doing work that calls to me. So right now I am the CEO and founder of Edvo. It is an education technology company where we're building uh, products and tools to really help people learn whatever they want, anything they want, uh, no matter what their backgrounds are, no matter where they are in the world. And we want to help people think for themselves um, and really be able to build the life they want. So um, very personal work that I'm doing that calls to me. Uh, that is what I'm currently up to.
1: I love that. I love the fact that you know, you are really empowering people to you know, think for themselves. I really love that. What would you say is your purpose? My
0: purpose is to help people live the life they actually find joyful um, and they actually find meaning in. My entire career, everything I've done, I feel like My mantra has been teach people how to fish, right? We all know that mantra, teach people how to fish and they can feed themselves for the rest of their life. So everything I've done in my career has been how do we help people build the life they want and that they resonate with? Uh, and that helps them to contribute meaningfully into our world and into our society. So Mm. that is what I believe is my calling and my purpose.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that calling. And uh, where do you think that it comes from? Is that uh, coming from some kind of
0: frustration that you had in the past? Or (laughs) where did it come from? (laughs) Oh, that's such a good question. I think it comes from two places. One is my personal experience of finding that for myself and realizing, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. And I am such a better person to be around. uh, And I, I, I can bring so much for this world. So what happens when every single human being uncovers that for themselves? So that was one of the reasons. And we can go into that deeper if you'd like. And the second reason, honestly, was Being in education, I was around kids. You know, I was around kids 14 through, I guess they're not even kids when they're like 25, right? 14 Mm -hmm. through 25 year olds. And then I was around teachers who are adults, of course. And I just got to know their stories and I got to see their own limiting beliefs. I got to see their environments that really dictated what they could do and when they could do it and all this stuff that I just, I, I was in that environment and I came out of it and said, wow, none of that actually matters. Mm-hmm. No one gets to dictate that for me. I need to think about it myself. I need to think for myself. So really being able to experience it myself and be around so much, frankly, like pain and frustration in other people. And I'm a big empath. So um, both of those really motivate me every single day to do what I do.
1: Mm, I love that. Yes, it's always, you know, when we start a venture, it's always because we've seen the pain somewhere, or perhaps, uh, you know, we've experienced that uh, ourselves. And then uh, we are taking action to do something as you are doing with your multiple, uh, you know, businesses that you are are building. So that's fantastic, Sharon. So tell me, uh, one of the things that people don't know
0: about you Oh, I'm a pretty open book. Um, (laughs) What is one thing that most people would not know about me? (sighs) Oh, okay, so, well, this one I'm pretty open about, but I think a lot of people are still surprised when I say it. Uh, My second company that I founded, uh, Edvo, I actually started it with my husband. And because he and I don't have the same last names, a lot of people when, and we're so different when people find that out, they're shocked that one, I can even be building a business with my husband during COVID where we spend all our time together. Uh, and by the way, it's been, I mean, I, it is the best thing that's happened for our relationship. So I think that really surprises people. Um, but again, I'm pretty open about it. So I, I love talking about it. Um, yeah, that would probably be the one thing.
1: Yeah, actually, um, actually, I was going to even ask you about that, actually, you know, how a (laughs) co-founder, how you actually co-founded, you are the second person on this uh, series, actually, who has uh, started a business with uh, her husband. Um, But yeah, so I just wanted to actually, um, you know, understand a little bit about the dynamics, how it works. So and then, first of all, why do you have decided (laughs) (laughs) to start after your first company. I think that you started by yourself. So why you finally wanted to start a company with your husband?
0: How did that happen? Yeah. So the backstory is my husband and I met and immediately bonded over our passion for changing the way education works in our world. And this is a global problem. We travel all the time. So, you know, we'll be on a food tour with um, the, you know, There was this one food tour I went to in South Korea and my tour guide was this mom and, you know, her kids were much older and they're living their own lives. But even she was telling me how broken the education system is and how what she believes people need to thrive in this world and to be their best in this world is not at all what's taught in our schools globally. So Raid, my husband and I, that's really what we bonded over. And he actually dropped out of college and started his companies when he was I think his first company was when he was 18, 19 or so, um, similar to me, I guess. And I went more of the traditional route in the sense that I did go to college and I did graduate and do all of that, but I still had a very untraditional, unconventional college experience. So um, to answer your question, we knew ever since we met that we would one day do something together professionally as well. And at the time, we saw personal and professional separate. But now that we're, you know, we're so fortunate to have found our callings and to have really brought the personal and professional together, that now it's just he and I partner in whatever we partner in, right? We just resonate. So that's the backstory. Now, why was Edvo something we started together? Um, two things. One, when I was building Skillify as a solo founder, um, First of all, being a solo founder versus a co-founder, that in itself is a a story. Um, But when I was doing that, and he was building his own company with two other co-founders, and his company was venture-backed, and he was building it in the Silicon Valley, you know, we were doing long distance because my business at the time required me to be in Los Angeles. His required him to be in San Francisco. Then I had a, eventually I built my business to be very sustainable and scalable. And so it ended up being completely remote. So I could move to San Francisco. But even though we lived in the same home, we didn't really get to spend time with each other because we were two entrepreneurs doing completely different things who cared deeply about our work. And we, Care deeply about each other. So we found ourselves really just not aligning the professional and the personal, right? And then we did everything people told us to do separate your work and your life, have the balance, do all of that. And that's just not who we are. We put our heart and souls into who we are as people and we manifest that into our work and our life and our relationship. So separation didn't work. And then timing just Was so beautiful where at Skillify, I got to a point personally where I didn't feel like I was growing anymore. Everything I could do, I could do in my sleep, right? And um, I was comfortable with it. And the challenges that existed, because challenges always exist, the challenges that existed were not exciting breakthrough challenges. They weren't challenges I could exponentially grow from. They were challenges that were annoying, right? They were like the (laughs) tedious, time consuming things um, that just you know, that make you kind of a pessimistic person. They don't really make you um, a better person. So I was recognizing that. And at the same time, Raid had already, you know, sold his company, had exited. um, And he was at a point in his life where he was saying, well, you know, financially, we're at a point where we want to put our money towards things that we care about. And we want to put our energy and our effort towards things we care about. And when you've started at least one business and you've stuck with it for years, you realize it takes so much out of you, that you might as well give it to something that you really care deeply about. Mm -hmm. And that's the recognition that he was coming to. And so we sat down and we actually have a third co-founder who's a technical co-founder and he's our friend for 10 years. And so Raid and him have also talked about, you know, when the time is right, we're going to build something together. So it just aligned where timing was good. All three of us care about education. Our third co-founder actually um, dropped. Dropped out of school when he was fourteen. He, he <laughs>
1: so that the, to... the trio, of, you know, trio, yeah. the Trinity <laughs> came together, and the mm-hmm. time
0: aligned, and that is why we decided now is the time to do it. Let's. My husband and I said we're going to build this business together. We did a lot of work as far as making sure our relationship was so damn strong that no matter what the business threw at us, no matter what life threw at us, um, we'd figure it out. So found that alignment. The timing worked out. For everybody involved, and we started.
1: That's wonderful, wonderful story. How long have you been uh, together, actually, with your husband? Almost nine years. Nine years, and then with Edvo, how long uh, is the um, two and, and a half years? Two and a half years. Okay, cool. That's that's wonderful. Um, so uh, my other um, question that I wanted to ask you is that you know, actually, I know that this is also like a BC backed, um, you know, company. And uh, very few female funders actually do raise VC money, and even less from women in minorities, right? So, what would you say has been your journey in raising this money? And the fact that you have co-funded that with your husband did that play any role in you being able to, you know, get the funding?
0: Yes. Oh, so this journey has so many pivotal points. So if I had to summarize it, I'm going to summarize it first, and then I'm happy to dive deeper into everything. If I had to summarize it, I would say my relationship with money was the most important thing in this process. When I first started, I grew up in a family where, you know, money was something, you know, we don't take debt. We don't, we don't ask for money. We we never do. We, we make it ourselves. And when we have enough, we do the things we need to do with it, right? And money was very transactional. It was very... Um, it was something to have, right? And it's like it's something you work for. It's something you work towards. Like, I can't even... Describe, I think money for my longest life was, I considered it, my relationship with it was in the traditional sense that I think most people have with money, right? It's something that gets them something. However, now, if you ask me, I've had so many breakthroughs with my relationship with money where now I see it as a representation of something. And for me, it's a representation of energy, it's a representation of people believing in each other, wanting to work towards a common ground and bringing different things to the table. So when I first started fundraising, getting now into the story, when I first started fundraising, it was very hard for me. And it was hard for me for multiple reasons. First, I didn't like asking for money, right? Like just coming from that traditional... I didn't yeah, like
1: definitely. For money. How on earth are you going to ask money if you don't know, you don't like asking money? Exactly. That would be very, very exactly.
0: difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I didn't like asking for money. So, you know, point number one, I had to change my relationship with it. I had to ask, why do I not like that? And am I asking for money? Is that what I'm asking for? Am I asking for something totally different? Right. So that was the first thing. The second thing was, yeah, being a woman and being a being a person of color, a minority woman fundraising for an education company. Um it was even more difficult. So then I had to ask myself why, right? Like why is the color of my skin or my sex or my gender or the type of work I want to be doing, why do I think that's limited? Right? Where do these limitations come from? That was actually the really important part. Where do these limitations come from? And there were many other questions, but let's focus on you know these two parts. So the first part, that really helped me fundraise successfully was first I said, okay, my relationship with money, am I really asking for money? No, what I'm asking for is someone to believe and see the vision I see. I'm asking for someone to sit down with me and mutually align and see if we can co-create this. I am putting my heart, my soul, my time. I am, obviously there's an opportunity cost when you start an early stage business, right? I'm, I'm putting everything on the line. Are you willing to invest financially, right? Into co-creating something with me? Now, by the way, that mindset switch took me a while to get. But when I made that mindset switch, when I saw that someone giving me money was, again, a representation of their belief in not just me, but in the vision. Yes, this is yes. someone who says, Shireen, we need a world yes, where people yes. don't believe a degree defines their success right? We need a world where anyone can learn anything they want comfortably, and they find joy in it. They don't see educational learning as this repetitive, annoying thing they have to do. So that was number one is, okay, that's the representation. This is what it means to ask for that belief, for that partnership, for that co-creation. That dramatically changed how I treated the fundraising process, which we'll get into. So that was number one. And then the second part which was around the limitations of why do people not want to invest in women of color doing education? Well, you know what? That's not true. It's not that people don't want to invest that. It, the truth is there is a system that lacks the awareness and the processes and the foundation to give women of color the belief, the investment that they need. To be successful, right? So it's a system problem. I don't think it's like people don't want to invest in that. Or that's not true. So I said, okay, well, who are putting those limitations in place and how do I remove those limitations? And who are people that don't have those limitations? So something I realized when I started going into the fundraising process, we talked to a hundred, like over 100 firms, right, VCs, And we pitched, and we pitched, and we pitched, and when I say we, it was my husband and I, and, you know, we're the business side, our CTO wasn't involved with fundraising until the final stages, Um, and my husband, also a minority person of color, right, Um, so even though he's a man, he's still a person of color, there's still, you know, barriers there he had to overcome. He was a successful, he is a successful entrepreneur. He had a venture back company prior to Enfo. He had exited it. Um, and, and even then fundraising, people were telling him, For him, his limitation was people were telling him, we just don't want to invest in education. Education technology, um, career stuff, those things don't generate good returns. So we don't want to invest in that. We don't want to co-create that. But we'll give you money. We'll give you and your team money. So they believed in us. We'll give you guys money to do anything else. Anything else in a good, better industry. So he was having not a confidence In him, problem barrier, he was having more of like an industry barrier. But his passion is education, right? His passion is that. So both of us said, okay, well, if people are putting these limits on us, we're not going to accept that. Let's find people who won't put those limits on us. And aligned with my second definition of money, let's also find people we genuinely want to co-create with, right? Because when you take money from investors, don't see it as money. Don't see it as just capital. Yeah. Anyone can give you capital. I promise there's so much capital out there now I've seen that. Anyone can give you capital, but not anyone can co create something with you. And that's very important when you are raising money for your venture. And so that is what we did. And instead of going to the Institute, the, the VCs that kept rejecting us, that didn't get it, they clearly, you know, we weren't aligned in co creating together. And be, by the way, I'm an investor, so I can also give you the perspective from an investor, and I don't blame them. I can, I, can help you, I can empathize there, too. But we just said, okay, who are the ones that are funding these investors, right? Who are the actual people with the capital that are saying, hey, we want to invest in this future work fund? We believe that the way work is doing, being done today is not good. We believe the way education is being done today is not good. Who are those people, right? We went directly to them. And in those high net worth individuals, we found people who wanted to co-create with us. And we found people who saw money as not just capital. We give you money, you bring us returns. But hey, we believe in this vision and we believe in you guys being able to deliver on this vision and we believe the vision is so big that it will get, it will create so much impact. There will be so much movement of money, that value exchange that yes, this money will amplify, right? This this representation of money will amplify, this belief will amplify. So we found those people. And again, I don't think we could have found those people if we didn't step out of this mindset that I think most entrepreneurs have is you have to go to the specific institutions to raise and you've got to get a lot of money until we redefined our relationship with money and we redefined what an investor was for us, we could not have gone to where we did.
1: Wow, my gosh, a lot of takeaways there. <laughs> <laughs> a huge, uh, uh, you know, learning curve actually. And my question in that is that: How did you finally? identify those individuals who one share your passion and two have the money actually or one have the money and the second share your passion how did you finally if you have to start again rather than going to those vcs who are looking to invest in the um, you know next unicorn kind of uh, company how are you going to go targeted straight away and not lose all your time looking at those institutional investors
0: yes I'm a product person, so I see everything like a product. So when you build a product, you know, you won't know if your product's good, <laughs> right? I mean, you can feel it, but you won't really know until you put it out there and until you know who your target users are or you attract what you think your target users are and you just start talking to them, right? So that is how I treated, and Raid and I treated the fundraising process. We said, okay, let's put ourselves out there. What do we stand for? What do we want people to feel? So who are the investors and and what do we want them to feel, right? What do we want them to feel? What is the meaning we want them to take away um, when they talk to us and they understand our vision, right? So first we had to really understand that. And most people manifest that into a pitch deck, right? Or this like long email, whatever it may be for you, but understand that, put that into words, put that into visuals, whatever it is that you want to communicate, and then just put it out there. Identify where could those people possibly be, right? Most of the people we met came from us literally just talking to our friends, talking to people like you, like for instance, this is the first time we're meeting, right? So we would just meet people who are, you know, care about future of work, they care about future of education. We didn't know how much money they had. You know, we could take a guess, right? But we didn't know. But we just knew that they cared about this space. And we would just put ourselves out there and we would talk. And when we started talking, people said, oh, I just met this one person who I think would really resonate. Oh, I just met this person that I raised from that's always looking for this type of investment. That is how we just started honestly getting warm referrals. Every single person we've raised from, I'm thinking back, I don't think there's a single person we didn't get a warm referral into. And I'm not saying cold emailing isn't successful. You can totally do that too. But for us, just talking about it and being open to talking about it was really important. And by the way, compared to my first business, Skillify, I was so embarrassed initially of what I was building. I didn't take it seriously. I didn't think it was like a real thing. My company, Skillify, was actually called Project Suit Up when it first started. And, 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 and I say that because think about it, right? Project. I thought my business was just the summer project. That's all it was for me. So I wasn't even taking it seriously. I was so embarrassed. I wouldn't even tell people Mm -hmm. what I was doing, what I was building. And I think some people, they do that because they're too scared. Someone's going to steal their idea. Right. And I think that's, that's just, it's, if someone cares enough to build your idea, go build it with them, <laughs> you know, go build it. Cause they care enough to do it. Um, so compared to my first company, I didn't do that. But at Edvote, we just started talking to anyone and everyone that would listen. And even if they wouldn't listen, we would kind of like insert ourselves. <laughs> and we got those warm referrals into every single person we raised from. And, you know, we also got recommended to people that wanted to invest and we didn't take their money because we knew that they were, putting their money in for the wrong reasons. The intentions didn't align. That doesn't mean they were bad or good people, right? It was just, we didn't align on intentions. So it's also important to recognize that when you're meeting people as well.
1: Mm, yes. I've um, talked to one person actually, was way back uh, in the, at the very beginning of the podcast in the first season, from one uh, Turk person also had (laughs) accepted money from the wrong investor Mm -hmm. and end up being like, you know, totally nightmare. She had to return the money back. To be able to feel good about herself, yes. and you know, I think yes, uh, getting money for the wrong investor is also you know not the good thing. But finally, actually, when you say that is a system, people are not bad and things that. And then I would like also obviously to hear from your experience as investor. What mm-hmm. actually do you mean by the system? The
0: system is essentially a belief set, right? That's what I see as a system. It is a cumulation, an aggregation, a collaboration of different beliefs coming together. So if you choose to be part of a system that has a certain set of beliefs, you are going to embody those beliefs. You are who you surround yourself with. And so... I've often gone into a system, right? Like I met so many VCs within the venture capital system that genuinely wanted to invest. They said, I, on a personal level, Shereen, I believe in this. I want to do this. Can I write a personal check into this? You know, so much stuff. But sometimes they couldn't even put in a personal check because it was a conflict of interest with their agreement with their their fund that they were representing, right? So... They themselves felt this, but then they were playing by the rules that they agreed to that were not set by them. And I think it's really important when you go into a system to see that, to be aware of that. Because if you're not, if you judge every single person you come across by the system they're a part of, again, it is totally their choice that they chose to be a VC mm-hmm. in that of system. Course. And I'm not yeah. just talking about VCs. This is mm-hmm. any system. Yeah, of
1: course. Right? <laughs> it is their
0: choice. But... Get to know those people because you'll realize they might not embody that system's belief set completely and they could connect you to other people. So I actually ended up meeting VCs that they themselves couldn't invest because of their system's belief set. But they, on a personal level, introduced me to someone that did invest. And that was someone I co-created with, right? So that is what I mean by the system and not the people. Separate the people from the system and you'll realize there's more beauty out there than mm. we think. And, and, but that said, I don't think it's an excuse. I do think people, what, we, that's why you know, we need to empower the person to break out of that system if they don't align with it, right? And to see exits, to see recreation opportunities, to see that. And um, some people that I met along the journey became, just became really good friends with, and then they actually exited because they saw, they they could tell, like, I feel stifled, and, you know, they're reflecting on themselves. They felt stifled within the system. They felt like they couldn't make the decisions they wanted to. And They had the means, they exited and they started their own thing, right? They recreated themselves. And I don't think everyone, um, it's a timing thing. It's a a self-belief thing. You got to believe you can do it first and foremost. Um, But that's what I mean by system versus people. Yeah, yeah.
1: I love that insight actually. And uh, at the same time, I'm thinking, so is there a way that the system can reform itself or the only possibility is to
0: exit the system and recreate a new one? Well, so a system is what the people who make up the system believe, right? So if everyone changes, if today the entire world said, no one should starve, no one should starve in our world. Everyone should have access to empowering education. Everyone should have access to the internet, whatever, right? If everyone believed it would happen, it would happen. But it's, it's that not, if, if in a system for it to change, enough people need to believe. And, and it's not just the majority, right? 51 versus 49. It's significantly more people need to believe versus not believe for it to manifest into that belief set, right? Um, so to the answer to your question is it's up to, it's up to the aggregate Belief set of the people. Mm,
1: mm, mm. And you now, as an investor, how different you are from the system?
0: (laughs) Um, I mean, so so I just don't play in that system, right? I play in a different system. Mm -hmm. We we Mm -hmm. are in a system that just has a different set of beliefs. Mm -hmm. Um, we care about different things. We don't invest in we invest in specific things that are based on our belief set. I think the biggest thing though that I've recognized now that I'm both an investor and an entrepreneur, and and my husband is a partner at a venture fund now, and so, you know, as I see it, I recognize investors have a really hard job, and I think as an entrepreneur, we forget that, you know, we, I think as entrepreneurs, we're told, this is something I was told from the founder communities that I was a part of, and some are better than others, but I was told that you know investors have access to all this capital and they invest in you, and so you have to prove to them that you're worth investing in. not a good mindset um, to go in with. but you know you're led to believe that investors have this advantage and they they have the power and they have and if someone has the power, then they have the easier job right like it's it's really counterintuitive actually um, but now that I'm an investor, I realize most investors, first of all, are constantly fundraising themselves. They're constantly looking for co-creators, LPs, right? They're constantly looking for LPs that will invest in them, in their thesis, in the type of businesses they want to bring forth in the world and co-create that way, right? So they're constantly fundraising. So there's like this level there. Second, investors are also dealing with like crazy entrepreneurs like us, right <laughs> and so I'm, it's good to recognize that <laughs> yeah and there are not only are they dealing especially at the early stage sec, like I'm an early stage company and I angel invest in early stage companies entrepreneurs, founders, literally what they're doing is they're believing in themselves. They're betting in themselves. But that comes with a world of, of, you know, self-improvement that needs to happen, personal development that needs to happen. They need to learn how to be in business. They need to learn so much and self-educate that there's a constant like question and answer, question and answer. Do you know this? Can you help me with this? Um, I'm going to do this. And then we have to be like, "No, no, 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 that's not the right way to do it. Right. Um, or try this way. Right. So, so it's a lot of like, like we need to, as an investor, we hold ourselves responsible for educating our entrepreneurs or leading them in a direction where they can self-educate and truly be their best self. And we need to help them stay motivated. Right. And so there's, um, there's a world of just like support and it's in traditional terms it's called portfolio support, but if you're truly an investor um, that care you know that, that invests intentionally for the success of the businesses and care deeply about what you're investing in, you get involved and if if the entrepreneur wants you involved and There's a lot of, like, love that goes into that, and that takes a lot of energy, and it's hard. It's really hard. So not only are you dealing with early-stage businesses, but then you're also dealing with, like, 10 different um, industries, right? So that's why I think a lot of venture funds, um, are, are industry specific, right? They only do this type of thesis, future work, education, HR tech, environmental, like they really find their specialty. And so they can really invest in, in those, like they don't have to learn about environmental sustainability and also learn about education and also learn about like every other industry out there. Right. Um, That said though, there's still nuances in every business. There's still insights in every business that you have to master. There's still so many different variables. Um, A marketing strategy for one company that's a consumer company is very different than a business to business company, right? The marketing strategy is so different. So you have to understand that as an investor if you're being asked for help, right? So investors have it really hard. Founders (laughs) have it really hard. (laughs) <laughs> and people are just trying to do their best and they're trying to communicate with each other. And I think what's missing is this common understanding of each other's struggles, which is why I love, I'm really proud to be an entrepreneur turned investor, right? Mm. And both. Um, but I love doing that because I can empathize with the founders I invest in. Mm. I can understand um, almost every single I'm pretty sure every single investor on our cap table is an entrepreneur turned investor. Um, I have to, I have to really look, but I, we were very intentional about that. And we also just vibed with, you know, entrepreneurs turned investors um, very differently. Right. So anyways, I hope that gives you a yeah. um, little bit the Yeah, yeah. To
1: <laughs> that, that is, that is fascinating. Of course, to look at both um, uh, sides of the equation, Um, and make sure that actually, you know, as entrepreneur, now you totally understand, obviously, the struggle of investors. That is not totally their fault. Um, So, and then obviously, you know, as you say, if you want to be perhaps a successful one, so perhaps you might want to be you know, have be much more hands-on uh, as investor. Are you, and also obviously, to you know, if you want to compound your knowledge effect, to be you know specialized in one industry. In your case, are you now focusing on one specific industry or are you still kind of broad in the kind of investment that you are having?
0: Yeah. So I primarily operate as an angel investor. Um, so as an angel investor, I, in so circle of competence is a mental model. Um, have you heard of mental models, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so most people don't know what mental models yeah. are um, and meant and, 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 Men, and they should be taught in school yes. like and, and actually
1: models. define that for us. Yeah.
0: Yes, sure. of course. So mental models are just powerful thinking frameworks. We yes. all use mental models, right? Yes. Uh, mental models are syn- uh, synonymous to your way of thinking. Yes. And so the way you choose to make decisions, the way you problem solve, there's steps we all follow. Mm-hmm. But there are hundreds of mental models that over the decades, over decades and centuries have really been used by powerful thinkers and problem solvers and they swear by them and they share like this is a mental model I've perfected and here's when it's helped me, right? So there's so much content out there on these, but it's, it's not presented in a user-friendly way. And that's yep. actually one of the things we're working on. Mm-hmm. But for me, the mental model that I use in investing is circle of competence. And Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, they talk about this all the time. But the circle of competence, which by the way, can be used towards anything, not just investing. It's a great way to, to verify what you truly know And to not act on what you think you know. Because sometimes we think we really know something, right? And if I invest in it and then turns out I had no mastery over it, that's silly, right? Mm. So um, I am not industry specific. I'm pretty agnostic when it comes to what I invest in, as long as it's part of my circle of competence. So it's either something I really understand well and can support and co-create, or someone in my network really understands well and I can make that connection, right? So sometimes I've invested in companies where I get it. I get the vision. I know it's so important, but I can't, I'm not a value add, like I can't help them tweak strategies, but someone really close to me can, and they can't financially invest. I can financially invest and they can give their time. So I've done things like that as well. Um, So that's how I choose to invest. And for anyone that's interested in mental models, we actually started a completely free, this was like my passion project of... I want people, anyone, to know about mental models and realize the circle of competence, for example. That can be useful in you deciding career changing. What career should you pursue? What should you change into? Um, If you're giving a TED Talk, what your topic should be on, right? Like anything as big and small as that. Um, So if you're interested in mental models, go to thinkforyourself.substack.com or go to edvo.com, and you'll see it as well. It's a 10 day think about our challenge where every single day I personally email you one mental model so you can learn it. My personal story of how I've used it and then a mini challenge that is personal. There's nothing that's asked of you outside of do this mini challenge for yourself and only you know if you've done it or not. So um, if you're interested, go do that. And I promise mental models changed my life in investing, in my career, in my mindset, in my finances. And I hope that, I know they'll do that for you um, if if you choose to learn them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was even going to ask you that uh, uh, in a moment about uh, the mental model and uh, because I've been on the app actually and I find it yeah. fascinating because I know them actually. In my master's degree, we've seen like tons, hundreds of them, um, you know, and I thought that that was fascinating and the way that you presented that is very, very um intuitive and very you know if you need proper solving so then you take this model and then it helps you this and i love that how easy it was actually let's see if we have some time (laughs) we (laughs) might have to have a look at one of them because i find it quite fascinating that is fascinating and now so of course i understand now that you invest in um you know uh the project or the businesses that you find within your circle of uh competence And where did you get the money from then? So are you also specific about where you get your money from?
0: Yeah, so as an angel investor, it's all money that I've made throughout my career, right? Um, So I don't represent- You're not taking
1: another money from, okay, it's just your own money.
0: It's just my own 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 money. money. Um, And that's, of course, very different from a fund, right? So my husband, who's um, representing a venture fund, he has LPs that he co-creates with that give him the financials. And then we ourselves personally invest as well. So, um, but me, if I'm just talking about me, only me, i primarily angel invest so it's just personal capital mm. that i choose to
1: yeah share yeah i know that some business angel actually also get into some groups actually where they kind of uh do perhaps uh but uh, you prefer doing your own investment with your yeah
0: own. and only because for me investing is not my um how do i say it? like it's not my um investing is something that I do, but it's not my career. And I don't like using words like career and things like that. It's less Um, fun when you use career. (laughs) No, it's not just that. I think career really bottles, you know, compartmentalizes, again, the professional and your personal, right? So um, I just, so for me, saying career doesn't make sense because Mm. it is just me. (laughs) It's just what I do. Um, So for me, investing is not, you know, I'm not going out there to full, actually, a better time, better um, term to use. I'm not investing full time, right? Like 60 hours a week or whatever many hours a week. I'm not dedicated towards identifying companies that I want to invest in, raising capital, even if it's small, and like finding, you know, those partners. That's not what I do. I do at 100 a hundred and thousand percent, right? Okay. Um, and when I invest, it's usually because I just happen to meet someone okay. who I really vibed with. And I want to support that. Okay. Um, and then all the other capital, you know, my husband and I manage, of course, full time, but like in a different way. Um, that that's more of a financial strategy than just like investing as an angel investor. Mm, mm, mm. So in your
1: mind, obviously, when you invest, you don't have any kind of exit strategy. So it's much more like some patient capital type of thing that you're doing, or do you still have some kind of yeah? Exit strategy.
0: It's kind of funny to me right because my intention when i invest in something is i want the world to have this i believe the world needs this and i believe this is the team that has unique insights into bringing this to the world Mm -hmm. right so my exit strategy is this will be in the world (laughs) You know, this will be in the world and people will use it and love it and share it um, and pay for it, right? They'll have the value transfer where they're giving their financial resources to then get all this um, value. So that's what I think about. Mm, but yeah it's, I get, I get to be more fluid being an angel investor than of course if I was representing of course um <laughs> you know Amazon, yes. exactly
1: totally <laughs> yes yeah that's fascinating world actually so um if we come back to um you know perhaps your belief you know that you had earlier you say that you have to change your belief of course to be able to see the Money as the representation that it is, but what did that take you actually to change that belief? Can you come uh, explain (laughs) a little bit? (laughs) Is the process (laughs) it took you to change those beliefs?
0: (laughs) You know, to be completely transparent, my ability to articulate that money is a representation of energy that uh, that articulation happened three weeks ago.
1: Wow. Three weeks ago. Wow.
0: But, yeah, and I think you can put into words what Mm. you feel, right? So the feeling of it, the development of it was the last two years. Um, So what it took was constantly being aware of how something made me feel. So constantly being aware of how fundraising made me feel and how money made me feel and being aware of my thoughts. So, you know, for example, something really small Um, If I waste food, right? Let's say I order junk food and then I throw half of it away, right? Because it made me feel terrible. (laughs) Um, Usually like old Shireen would be like, oh my gosh, I'm throwing $10 away into the trash, right? Versus I am, well, two things is, oh, I'm throwing away food in a world where food is scarce, Mm -hmm. right? And so I don't want to be wasting food. That said, I also don't want to be consuming things that make me feel bad. I want to feel good. So I'm not wasting $10. I'm actually investing in my own health. And because that environmental aspect is so important to me, it actually demotivates me from ordering junk food later, right? It motivates me to not order junk food so I don't have to waste it and I treat my body well. Mm-hmm. So it, taking it again from, oh, this is a $20 meal. I wasted half, $10 down the drain. I still see, like, I have so many friends and family members that think in that way, right? And 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 by the way, I come from a family where we were raised, you do not leave even a grain of rice on the plate. You <laughs> eat every last bit because I come from humble means, you know? That was very important. But I've had to change that. And I've had to say, I'd rather not even purchase or invest my energy, the representation of money, into a piece of food that doesn't make that doesn't serve me, and so then I also don't have to worry about wasting it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so to answer your question, it started and it evolved, and it pretty much got to a point three weeks ago where I could articulate this. Um, By just being hyper aware of how I thought about different interactions, how often money and money calculations came up in my mind, were they helpful, were they toxic, really being honest with myself, and I documented things, I wrote things down, I talked to my husband about it, um, and I didn't give in to those tendencies, which I was doing for a really long time. I didn't give in to those over the last couple of years. And I just tried to, every time something came into my brain, I tried to rechannel it, unlearn it, rephrase it. Mm-hmm. And I did that enough where now it's just natural, right? Now I have a completely different belief set ingrained in me. Yeah. But that yeah. took months. of unlearning and relearning.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Some of your mental models have been useful in uh, helping Yes, all of them. Which one? All of them. them. So we have to go through all of them.
0: I will tell you, so some of my favorites, Mm -hmm. um, in addition to First Circle of Competence, is First Principles Thinking, um, Mm -hmm. breaking things down. And I did that my entire fundraising process, right? When I said things like, where do these limitations really come from? And um, all of that, that is First Principles Thinking, stripping away any assumptions, any beliefs you might have that you don't actually know are true. They might come from imposed beliefs in society and whatnot. Stripping everything away to really what makes up at the very foundational level, at the very first level, what makes up that problem, what makes up that product, right? whatever it may be, stripping it down to its bare bones, absolutely needed components, the minimum components, and then saying, huh, if that's what this is how can i rearrange things how can i question things right and that really helped me it's so crazy looking back how did i not realize earlier that venture capitalists vcs they don't they manage lps money so if you break it down if you break the vc ecosystem down you start realizing oh, I can go directly to these LPs that have the funds and care about these things, but don't make decisions of what actually gets invested in every single time. Mm. Oh, so first principles thinking for me has been monumental uh, across the board in my growth. Opportunity cost analysis.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Opportunity cost is one fabulous tool, I tell you. Yeah, I've yeah. Used it a lot. Yeah, when yes. you look at that, you really start to really think through what you do and the cost of not doing all the cost of doing it.
0: <laughs> exactly. And that actually was the mental model that helped me start Skillify. If I hadn't done an opportunity cost analysis, when everyone was telling me, Shereen, take that job offer at that corporate company straight out of college. And it was a better job offer than what people were used to. Everyone was telling me to do that. And I ran an opportunity cost analysis and it, made me see the cost of taking the job and giving up Skillify was greater than the cost of doing Skillify for one year and sacrificing the paycheck for one year. And so I did Skillify and it led me to meeting former President Obama. It led me to impacting 50,000 people. It led me to now Edvo. It led me to my husband. I
1: mean, <laughs> 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 that is absolutely my favorite. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> That is a terrific model. I uh, actually, have you then been able to use those models since the very, very beginning?
0: Yeah. So, so it was interesting. I, mm-hmm. in hindsight, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, an opportunity cost analysis actually was introduced to me when mm-hmm. I was twenty-one and making that decision, and it was introduced to me by my husband, then boyfriend.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I got very fortunate that right it just happened, but. I learned circle competence, first principles thinking when I was like 24. So a few years later, um, and now I'm 27, so I'm, I'm incredibly young. But now it's like, I need, I wish I knew these in high school. There are so many things. You don't teach them. You have to get to
1: the master's degree. That's when I learned them, actually, <laughs> in my master's oh,
0: degree. It's so <laughs> oh, it's sad. I know. And even when we learn it in our master's degree programs, or you know, as an investor, we learn it in our investor communities, right? First principles comes up all the time as an investor. And but they're presented in these like sophisticated, oh, totally. make me feel like I need to have a mathematics, like, you know, expertise and a physics expertise. And you don't, you don't. Mental models can be used pretty much in anything in life. There's different mental models to help you with different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so take that 10 day think better challenge. And by the way, the app you saw for Einstein, it's, Um, that was like such a small prototype we created in three days, but now we've actually built out a beautiful functional mental models by Edvo app, um, that'll be available in the next six weeks. Yeah. Um, Ooh, exciting. Yeah, I've they, even
1: signed up for doing the ten days challenge, so I can't yeah. wait to see when uh, my first lesson is going to come tomorrow.
0: So yes, <laughs> yeah. and the first one is on opportunity cost analysis. Oh, cool! Yeah, and then they all go from there. <laughs> that, that's super, super. Wow, that
1: is really fascinating, Shireen. Um, so tell me now, uh, what would you say was one of the uh, very tough moments that you have encountered through your entrepreneurial journey, perhaps?
0: Oh,
1: uh, a very low (laughs) rock
0: bottom moment. (laughs) You know, I think there's quite a few, but I think the common theme across all of them is when I lost confidence in my own abilities, when I really suffered from self-doubt, when I let the Many voices out there that tell you you can't do something, you can't be something, that you've got to be older, you've got to be more experienced. you've got to be X, Y and Z. Those were the lowest moments in my life when I felt like I couldn't count on myself, I didn't believe in myself. And every I have vowed to myself, by the way, um, this was you know with COVID happening, our entire business shifted in March um it actually was going to shift before covid so it, it ended up being a blessing in disguise in many ways but i vowed to myself in march that i will show up every single day with fierce unwavering belief in myself and my abilities to bring meaningful change into this world mm. it's crazy that i've already done i've already more than proven to myself that I can do it with Skillify. Mm -hmm. I've more than proven myself when people told me, you're 19 years old, you're a woman, you're playing in an archaic system. Oh, high schools will never implement this. It'll take you five years to have a district sign a contract with you. You're talking to 50, 60-year-old superintendents. Why would they trust you, right? In seven months or so of starting Skillify, I signed a six-figure contract with the school district. And we became a mandatory requirement for their students to go through our curriculum, to graduate and, you know, have internships and find mentors and explore their interests. So I have more than proven to myself that I can do it. And even then there have been low moments in my life where I still doubt myself. And so now I've made that commitment that I will show up every single day with fierce, unwavering belief in myself and my ability. And that is it. That is it. I cannot default. The self-doubt. If I default, it. If, if I if I have doubt, it defaults to questioning and finding other ways, um, taking rest. You know, resting it, sleeping on it, thinking through it. Great, but I will not default to self-doubt. What,
1: what would you say was that single moment in March? Is, was it COVID that um, you know, made you take that steps or was it before COVID
0: that you- In you March, I recognized, and this actually, it was in January where this recognition started happening. It just kind of manifested in March. In January, I recognized I had spent a year and a half building a product- that was really successful for the wrong reasons. It was successful because it was valuable to the world. Um, It was a recruiting operational product. It was helping people get jobs. It was great. But it turned into a glorified coaching agency where we literally taught people how to Get a job by like you know knowing exactly what to say in an interview, knowing exactly what your resume should say and and that 's sad it 's sad that the process is something that you game, and you can make millions of dollars just teaching people how to game it and of course that 's valuable to people because right now they have no resources available to them to get a job they actually want right so i even though I was doing good for the world, I never this goes back to what I first started this episode with this. I never did anything in my career that was about giving people fish. It was always about teaching them how to fish. And a year and a half later, because we found success in this way, it was trendy, it was helpful, but it was not aligned with my intention. But I got roped into it. Uh, I let myself get roped into it. Um, That's when I realized that all happened because I did not have confidence in my own intuition and the insight I have that can actually make Edvo valuable for billions of people, not just these, you know, very specifically these like hundreds of thousands of people in this very specific area, feeling a very specific pain. I mean, literally my business started, my impact started as something that was going to be global. And in the year and a half, it kind of just went niche, 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 niche. And it's because I was following advice from experts who said, you know, find your initial niche and your target user and the And I just like had this wake up call in January where I was like, this is way harder than anything I signed up for. And it's not fun. Mm -hmm. I would say what I'm doing now actually is way harder than what it was in January, but it's Mm -hmm. fun. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. aligned with what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I am not solving a niche problem. I'm solving a universal global problem.
1: Yep. 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 yep,
0: That was the moment.
1: Yes, I get that. I totally get that. Really very, very insightful, actually, moment. Uh, So now, actually, uh, tell us, um, you know, what would you say, actually, is, um, you know, because we're not going to have time for the demo, but again, you know, people are going to go. I'm going to put the link on the show uh, notes uh, for the mental model and getting people on the ten-day challenges. Um, so, and uh, let's go to now. Um, you know, asking um, this question actually: How do we? Can we actually live a rich life now, regardless the money that we have?
0: Oh, oh, oh! Yes. <laughs> i you know i've thought about this a lot by the way because for a long time i believed you know in you know the mass loss hierarchy of needs shelter and food and and money is required to buy those things like you can only self-actualize and like live a rich life if you have those basic needs covered and then i started my podcast (laughs) and i was proven wrong um I interviewed someone who, uh, his name's Chris Atoki, and my podcast is called The Evolution Podcast, and it's all about people who have faced, I mean, we all evolve, but um, they've they've made a dramatic, drastic life change, and they've said, you know what, I'm going to stop doing things the way people tell me I need to be doing things, and I'm going to do things my way, and they started living for themselves, so I document those stories and all that stuff. So Chris Atoki, at the age of um, 20, he was homeless. He had no family, no friends, no support from them. He had $500 in his bank account. He got fired from his job or laid off from his job, I can't remember. He was going to school and had to drop out because he couldn't afford it. And he was living out of his car. And his car kept breaking down. So that $500 became 89 cents or something like that in a matter of months. And he had a moment, of course, he was fighting depression at this point. And he was fighting all these things. And he had a moment that he explains in the episode where he decided he can either end his life or he can start living for himself. Hmm. And the minute he chose, I'm going to just start living for myself and just started focusing on how am I going to live today? that helps me feel joy, or whatever it may be. For him, it was, how am I going to feed myself today, right? Talking about basic needs. And he was just focused, today, i got to feed myself. And then tomorrow, i got to uh, take a shower. And then tomorrow, i got to apply for jobs, right? I think once you have your basic needs covered in the microwave, you can start doing more. But I think so many people put the pressure on themselves to know, I'm going to be here in three years. I'm going to be here in five years. But if you don't have your basics covered, if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't feel safe, if you don't feel respected, right? Like these very basic foundational needs. Let's start there. Let's just start what you want to do today. What you, and then you'll grow into what I'm going to do this week, and then you'll grow into what I'm going to do in two weeks, and then you can maybe think about the year. Um, so even if you don't have money, even if you don't have you know, those basic needs, I really encourage you to identify within yourself what will truly bring you the feelings you want to feel. So if you want to feel respected, if you want to feel safe, I mean, everyone has a different situation, right? So I don't like to say if you want to feel happy. (laughs) It's truly what are those feelings you want to feel? And then just commit to finding that feeling for yourself that day. And listen to Chris's episode; it really changed. And it was it was very recent. Um, he now, by the way, so to give it away, four years later from being homeless, finding himself homeless, he he had a son who's two years old. He bought himself a house, and he has a six figure paying job. So wow. there is, you know, there yeah. is like found his success in yeah. his own way. Yeah. So it really changed my opinion on, you know, I think I think people have way more power and strength within themselves despite their circumstance. And I see it in my mom, I see it in my father, like I see it in the way, you know, they grew up. I see it in the way I grew up. Um, But then seeing Chris's story where really you go from nothing to something, and it's not the traditional rags to riches story by any means, it's simply the power of self-belief and thinking for yourself. And he actually says this, he said, you know, when I tuned out Like I didn't my radio didn't even work, right? Like I couldn't listen to what other people were telling me. When I tuned out what all these experts were saying, when I tuned out what people were saying I need to do and how I need to live, I found my path. And I believe in that. I believe in we should be thinking for ourselves. That's what I do. That's our mantra. We should be thinking for ourselves. So
1: yeah, yeah. That. yeah. now that's good you know a lot of people have um say that i can't remember who are the famous people who say that you know one of them specifically say that he started to um really become somebody when he started to listen to everybody else's and uh but i also do love podcasts and uh, interviewing people like you as well and uh, learning your experience and people like races and because we learn so much. And then we can see also the beauty of the human condition and interviewing people from all kinds of background, not just celebrities, people who have made it, but everyday person, you see the kind of stories people go through to become, um, you know, all the kind of uh, struggles or, you know, challenges they go through. And they never give up. And then it's actually come um, to something. So I I, I love this, um, you know, conversation, you know, this is why I also keep in doing this podcast and uh, mm-hmm. because you always learn, like, uh, this fabulous conversation we're having, your, you know, story is, like, a mind-blowing and, you know, f- fantastic, you know, story, you know, and, you know, at, you know, your age, 27 years old, you are already achieving what you're achieving and having all those mental models masters and all those things that it takes people decades to get to actually you know and i'm really inspired by all my guests uh, to be honest when i uh you know interviewed my guests and uh really beautiful story you know and as you say you know we just have to get our basic needs now think of now what makes us happy or you know joyful now next week Rather than thinking too far away for ten years, and then ten year things will change. Nobody knew that COVID was coming this year, right? right. We all yeah. had like a, the greatest twenty twenty ever. We all have our plan, right? How twenty twenty yeah. is going
0: to, to look like, right? And not yeah. to say, I mean, you know, I, I, I totally visualize mm. the world in ten years, right? The world I want to live in ten years, but I allow, I, I, I also know it's a duality of everything. I believe nothing is yeah. just like. Really exclusive, right? So I believe in the duality of, yes, I can visualize this and hope for this, but I also know that things will happen, right? Things are in flow and they will happen and life goes on. So I will both focus on today and hope for the future. So this is specifically for people who are fortunate enough to not only worry about today, Right, they can actually think about a year from now. They can see that they have enough job security and safety, and 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 whatever it may be, where they can genuinely visualize themselves in a year from now. Definitely do that. See who you want to become in the future, and go become that. Because if you can, there's actually, and we don't need to get into this, um, but there is an entire like visualization. Um, you know, uh, what's it called? Like strategy is if you become friends with your future self, you don't see them as a stranger. If you become friends with your future self, you're more likely to do the things you need to do today to become that person. But if you keep thinking the person a year from now is a stranger, it's harder to do things for a complete stranger than it is for someone you really care about, right? Mm -hmm. So- just putting
1: that out yeah, there yeah no, yeah no that's 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 totally, totally right that you actually you um you know uh jump on this this thing because i totally believe in also visualization and setting plan or setting big goal for but the way you do that but you don't live in that future you live in the present you know you set up those goals you visualize the things like that and you embody them you leave them today You know, you feel them today. So you don't wait to be there to start being happy, right? You start to be happy today because you know that you, you know, started manifesting them at a smaller level, at a smaller scale. Yeah, that's wonderful. (laughs) So now quick lightning round uh, questions and then we'll, um, you know, get to the the end of uh, this uh, conversation. When you travel, do you select your flight by the cheapest flight or by the duration? (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, I, Oh, duration. <laughs> I mean, duration for sure. I, especially with COVID, I do, I'm i still traveling. Um, you Where know, do you go? Urgent. Do you um, go
1: outside of the U.S.? Mm,
0: yeah. So, so in Jamaica, so I'm, Right. The only place I've traveled during COVID has been Florida because I live in California, Florida, because my nephew was born, my first nephew. And so we had to fly to Florida for that. And then Jamaica, because we're actually exploring plant medicine and plant medicine therapies and just understanding that ecosystem better. And Jamaica is a really great place um, for that ecosystem that's already being built. So Jamaica is like my broad destination and then Florida has been like my in the state. So duration pretty much always, unless the price is so I mean prices right now have been really good for traveling. Um, but in the past, like if the price is absurd then I'll probably not even want to travel <laughs> um, than deal with like a three stop flight. So yeah, yeah, anyways, yeah. most yeah. cases duration. Okay, cool. Uh,
1: so the next one, if I had, um, I gave you uh, a laptop today and a hundred dollars uh, to start making money, what would you do?
0: Make content. Um on a laptop, I would take that $100, sign up for Zencast or Zoom, whatever it is. Um, That's a recording software for podcasts. I would start inviting like emailing people, uh, probably pay the $10 a month for like an automation email software, make templates, email hundreds of people that inspire me and just start recording interviews because content is so important. And if you want to make money from it, you can monetize it very, very easily Um, because people genuinely want to learn from each other and they genuinely want to feel inspired. So, um, and it's helpful, of course. So that is what I would do.
1: so cool. So So what would you say is financial freedom for you?
0: Being able to do what I want, when I want, where I want, (laughs) Uh, and with who I want. Uh, When, where, who, how I want. (laughs) Uh, That is financial freedom for me.
1: Okay, and what about uh, your definition of meaningful work and meaningful life?
0: Um, Where I wake up every day, and no matter, because no matter what type of work you do, it's gonna be difficult. Um, But when I wake up every day, and truly, deeply, I feel this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. That's my definition of meaningful work. And I have to say, for me, meaningful work has changed. My definition of it for myself has changed. So I can say meaningful work is like finding that career. You know, for the next 50 years. It's in that moment you wake up, you'll know if your work is meaningful or not for you. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Okay.
0: So and what about
1: meaningful life? Um same thing. Same thing. Yes, <laughs> meaningful work is meaningful life. So you collapse yeah. both. <laughs> there you go. Same
0: thing. I have good, beautiful energy around me, good people. Um, I have financial freedom. That's really important. I have Freedom from limits, right? Um, so, meaningful life is just really being able to feel aligned again with myself and feel proud of myself and what I can bring into the world.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, your final piece of guidance to our listeners, and then we'll say goodbye. I I yeah. Time. Hi, dog.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Your, the final piece of yeah. advice. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, this um i was thinking i was actually talking about it with my team earlier this morning um there's a really good margaret young quote that i don't know off the top of my head but the gist of it is and i also yeah the gist of it is um i didn't even know this was a quote until literally last week um the gist of it is most people believe that they need to have something to then do something, to then be someone, right? Most people think I have, like, I, when I have money, I will do my own business, and then I will be this entrepreneur. When I uh, have friends who are active, then I will do active things and be this active person. Versus, just flip it around. When So it's, it's a be what you want to be, Do those things that you think that person would do and then become, right? Have the things that that person would have. So my advice is just rewire that in yourself. Have the whole be, do, have. And the way that would work, for example, with the friend situation is be the active person. Go do those adventurous, active things. And you'll realize along the way, you'll meet people and have the friends who are active that then amplify you being an active person, right? Be the entrepreneur and then do the things you believe an entrepreneur does that you want to do. And then all of a sudden you'll recognize you have a business, you have a flexibility, you have the financial freedom. So the be do you have is absolutely something I recommend for everybody.
1: Yeah, it's funny because I also only saw that this year the be do have. I don't know how uh, uh, suddenly it's just coming uh, popping up and uh, you know in people's consciousness. This be do have actually versus the have do, be actually before actually, and I've seen I've seen that also uh, this year, and I uh, thought that was really awesome actually. Thank you very yeah. much for this uh, uh, beautiful uh, advice. So now, how can people, um, our listeners, actually be, uh, to reach you and learn more about yourself? Yeah.
0: Um, come talk to me. I'm, I respond to, I try, I try really hard to respond to every email I can. Um, and I, I, and I do respond to everyone. It just takes me a little bit of time. Uh, but shereen at edvo.com is my email. Uh, LinkedIn is also probably a better place than email to reach me. Um, LinkedIn and I am on Instagram. I'm, I'm on Twitter. Uh, and then for Edvo, obviously, we have the Think Better Challenge. And then we're working on two products right now. One has to do with mental models by Edvo. Another one is a, is a uh, system that can help you learn anything you want. So if you're someone who loves learning, which I think all of us are, um, and you just want to learn better and be better, uh, we'll be doing a beta test by the end of this month. So reach out uh, to chat, to get involved, whatever calls to you.
1: That was wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Shireen, uh, for this wonderful uh, uh, conversation. I really love that. And uh, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show.
0: Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for a great
1: conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode. The show notes of this episode of The Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life are available on my webpage, francinebelli.com slash podcast. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash podcast with all the references shared on the show and other relevant resources as well. If you enjoy this podcast and want to show your love and support, Share it with your friends and colleagues on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever you hang out, because this will encourage me to keep bringing you an awesome show. So, and make sure that you subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the app where you are listening to this podcast so you don't miss any episode and leave me a five-star review as well, because That will mean that a lot of other people can see this show and it will help me spread this message to many, many more people. So I will see you next week for another episode of the season seven. Until then, dream, act and make an impact. Lots of love.